Have you ever had the experience of coming back down to earth with a bit of a bump? You know the sort of thing, you have a, a bit of a high, you've a really enjoyable experience and then you're brought crashing back down to earth to something maybe mundane or ordinary or even just downright unpleasant. I have a friend and he's a farmer and he was telling me the story actually of how he came to faith. It was a really long search for the Lord, really. He knew that the Lord was drawing him, uh, but he resisted for a long, long time. And then a friend invited him along to this Christian event. It was in Ballymena Town Hall. I know the venues don't get much more exciting than Ballymena Town Hall. It's a big enough venue, actually. It holds 400, and it was packed full. It was packed full, and it was a really powerful experience as he sang and as he listened to the preacher explaining the gospel. He said it was one of those times, you know, when it just seemed like the preacher was speaking to just him. He could really sense that he had to give his life to Christ, and he did so, and he sang his heart out to the Lord after he'd given his life to him. It was a real spiritual high. And then the next morning, he was out on the farm, and do you know what his first job was that morning? Clipping sheep's toenails. Clipping sheep's toenails, and he says, can you imagine anything worse? He's a cattle farmer, by the way, so he hates sheep anyway, and he's cutting their toenails. Oh, it was just awful. He said he came back down to earth with a real bump. And in many ways, when we come to this part of the Lord's Prayer, we actually have something quite similar. We're brought back down to earth because we've been talking about Almighty God as Father. Hallowed be your name. You know, your name is holy. Your kingdom come. May you bring about the restoration of all things in the new heaven and the new earth. May your will be done here on earth the way it's done in heaven. And as we approach that day, may we have that taste of heaven on earth. And then we get to a prayer about bread. And it really is a prayer about bread. Some of the early church fathers debated this very fiercely among one another. Some of them felt it couldn't just be about ordinary bread because we've just been talking about the kingdom and glory of God and all the rest of it. Some of them thought it was maybe related to receiving Christ as the bread of life. Some said it was related to communion in some way. But we have some evidence, which we'll come back to a bit later. We didn't have it at the time, but it confirms that this is actually just bread. The point is that this part of the Lord's Prayer, this ask, is very, very down to earth. God cares for our physical needs just as he cares for the spiritual realities in our lives and in the world around us. I didn't know Marty was going to quote Tertullian this morning. I'm about to quote him, um, which is strange. I'm sure he hasn't been quoted in Ravenhill probably in, in 50 years. But he lived in the second and third centuries, and he did argue, and he was right, that this is earthly bread. And he, he says this, How gracefully has the divine wisdom arranged the order of the prayer so that after things heavenly, that is the name of God, the will of God, and the kingdom of God, it should give earthly necessities also room for a petition. This makes sense. This is what Jesus taught, isn't it? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, then all these things, all the bread and clothing and all the rest of it, will be given to you as well. So it's right that we prayed in this order. The kingdom first, and we thought about our priorities a bit last week, and then our own needs. So this week, I want us to work through this in a little bit of a different way. Um, I was reading a book this week by Philip Ryken. He's a biblical scholar, and what he does in the Lord's Prayer is he goes through this word by word. Um, It's always important to acknowledge your sources, so that's where I'm taking the outline from, uh, if not all the content. Um, 
I think it's helpful because in many ways this is a very ordinary and mundane and not very exciting request, but there's actually a lot in it, um, and I find his approach really helpful, so I hope you will too. Give us today our daily bread, and the first word, give. And I suppose this is an acknowledgement that all that we have actually comes from God in the first place. The most basic needs that we have to survive come from God. And I think that's something that we know, but I think it's always easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking that we're self-made, that we're self-sufficient. Um, several years ago, a man called Don Brothy wrote an article called Why I Don't Pray Anymore. And this guy had been raised in church, and he'd been taught to always say grace before meals in particular. But he wrote this article, and he said this, I don't pray anymore before a meal. I've given it up. How can I maintain without lying that God has a hand in this meal? Apparently, he'd come to the point of thinking that it would be dishonest, actually, to pray for his daily bread from God because he'd actually earned it for himself. Or so he thought he'd gone, he'd bought the ingredients, he'd made the meal. So in his mind, God had nothing to do with it. Uh, I think his thoughts were later summed up in The Simpsons, where Bart Simpson says grace, and he says, God, we paid for all this ourselves, so thanks for nothing. But the truth is that everything we have is a gift from God. Notice how big a contrast this is. The previous lines of the Lord's Prayer are an awesome portrait of God. He's almighty. He's the provider, the creator. But here we're needy. By asking God to give, we're recognizing that we're not self-sufficient. We're dependent. It's ingrained in our lives from the moment we're born. We need others to feed us, to dress us, to train us to do all sorts of things. Nobody is self-made. We depend on others for relationships, for our well-being. We need communities to live and work in. God has made us to be dependent on him and on other people. He's not like that. He's glorious and he's holy, but we're weak. And I suppose the events in the last week in Turkey and Syria are obviously a very extreme example, and hopefully none of us will ever face anything like that. But they are a stark reminder that we are not God. We are not ultimately in control of our lives. We are not self-sufficient. We're not in control of our material needs. We depend on God. Everything we have, everything we eat is a divine gift. So this word and this prayer is, I suppose, one which forces us to be honest. It's God who waters the earth and causes crops to grow. He gives us health and strength to go out and work and earn money for our daily bread. It's not something we can take for granted. And if you've ever maybe had a period of illness where you've not been able to work, you'll know that comes along. It's uninvited. It's unexpected. But there it is. We depend on him every moment of every day. Now, one of the reasons, I suppose, that we're particularly prone to thinking that we're self-sufficient is because in this part of the world, we're relatively well off. Now, obviously, I realize that's going to be different for all of us here tonight. Some of us are feeling the effects, really, of high fuel prices and the, the cost of living crisis, but on a global scale, we're fairly well off. But it's not just people who are in need who need to pray for daily bread. Actually, the more we have, the more we need to be reminded of this because we're more likely to slip and think that we are self-sufficient. 
Um, Stacey Woods was a pioneer in missions on university campuses in the United States about a century ago, but I, I thought this quote um, was quite challenging. He says, material influence in no respect lessens my need to rely on God. Actually, it increases it. I'm in greater spiritual danger when I have plenty than when I have nothing. Hence, the almost greater need of the wealthy is to cry to God for mercy that they may not fail to trust him. Proverbs puts it like this, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Obviously, we don't want poverty. Nobody's gonna pray to have poverty, but having too much can help us to, or can make us to forget on God. So this word give, it helps us to find that balance and act as a reminder that we depend on God. Secondly then, us. Now, if you know your grammar, you'll know that this is an objective pronoun, so pat yourself on the back if you knew that and you're allowed to look really smug. Um, but you might think there's not very much you can say. I mean, this is just who you want the daily bread to be given to. What, what can we say about the word us? But I actually think this is quite interesting because just a few verses earlier, uh, as we read in our first week in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus teaches this prayer, he tells his disciples to pray on their own. He tells them to go into the room, shut the door, and pray in private. So we would have expected him probably to say, give me today my daily bread. But whether our prayer is in private or with other believers, it's never just a private matter. This, is, this prayer is a prayer for the family of God. Even though it is a prayer for our own needs, we're not telling God, you know, just give me all that I want. It's stopping us from being selfish. It's a prayer for our bread. It is still a prayer for me, but it's a prayer for more than just me. It's a prayer for all the children of God. And I think this means two things. Firstly, again, it's an acknowledgement that we're not self-sufficient. We rely on the person who plows the field, who plants the seed, the person who reaps the harvest. We rely on the person who grinds the flour and bakes the bread because we don't usually do that ourselves. And of course, behind all of that, we rely on God. They say it takes a village to raise a child. Well, maybe it takes a village to make a loaf of bread by the time all those things have happened with the seeds planted and reaped and, and all the rest of it. It reminds us that actually a lot of people need to do stuff for us to get our bread. So we're asking God to make that happen. But secondly, the word us, it also identifies us with those who don't have so much, especially our brothers and our sisters in the Lord who don't have anything. So many of our brothers and sisters in the Lord around the world are hungry. And countless more besides them are hungry and they need to know the love of Christ, which can be shown in a practical way when we give them bread. The real travesty of world hunger, the real tragedy of it is that we actually do have enough stuff on this earth. But there's the spiritual problem, greed and corruption, warfare, oppression, all these things stop food from getting to the people who need it. Frankly, there's just not a willingness in our part of the world to spend the money to get it to where it needs to go. And that's why we pray first for God's kingdom to come, because when that really happens, then bread will come too. So when we pray, give us today our daily bread, we're identifying with others. We're praying for justice, for feeding the hungry. And so I think this has to challenge us in terms of how we use the material possessions 
that we are blessed with. It's not just give me today my daily bread. It's give us today our daily bread. And if we're not challenged by this, then I don't think we're praying this with any sincerity. A good while ago now, we looked at uh, different sections in the book of James, and we read these words. James says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? If I'm going to pray, give us today our daily bread, if I'm going to pray that honestly, then I need to be prepared to be part of the answer to that prayer. Then give us today our daily bread, today and daily. Um, the word today is, is an easy translation, but the word daily, much like one of the words we were looking at this morning, is only found here in the Bible. It's not found anywhere else. Matthew and Luke both use it in their record of the Lord's Prayer, but it's not anywhere else. And it's puzzled people for over 2,000 years by what it means because it also doesn't appear anywhere else in any Greek literature, not just the Bible. Jesus taught this prayer in Aramaic. The disciples wrote it down in Greek. And so what most people thought for a long time was that the disciples just made this word up. That wasn't a harsh thing. They weren't lambasting the disciples for that. They just thought, well, whatever he said in Aramaic, there wasn't an equivalent work in Greek. So they just came up with this word. And most translators went for daily simply because of that verse in the Old Testament that I quoted a moment ago from Proverbs. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. And we do know confidently how to translate that verse in the Old Testament from Hebrew, because Hebrew is just better. So that's why it's written that way in the King James Bible and another older translation. And maybe I'm just a bit sad, but as I, as I was researching this this week, I thought this was really cool because about 100 years ago in 1925, a document was found in Egypt. And it was, wait for it, somebody's shopping list from the first century. Now, there's a bit of debate around it. The handwriting isn't wonderful, but it seems to fit in with this idea that, it's, that these were daily supplies because it gives an account of what the daily rations were and it uses this word for some of the provisions that people needed. And if, we're, if that's not quite convincing, well, more recently than that, another document was found that seems to have a list of things that an errand boy was sent to Alexandria for. And again, this word appears on it. And it seems to, these were things that seemed to have been fresh things, things that were needed for the day that wouldn't have kept otherwise. So Matthew and Luke, they didn't make this word up. It wasn't a very common word, but there you have it. Now, why is that important? Well, I suppose the fact that we can be confident that it is daily bread means that we can see this prayer fits in neatly in context with bread in the rest of the Bible. If you think about it, in those days, there was no preservation, no preservatives, no freezer to extend shelf life. So bread was a, a daily thing. It was quite common that people baked their bread every day. It didn't keep for longer than that. And that's why the proverb says, give me only my daily bread. In John 6, we were reading about Jesus interacting with, with the religious leaders, and they talked about uh, giving the people manna, how God gave the people manna in the desert. And if you go back to the book of Exodus and read that, if you read the story, it could only be eaten that day. If it was left overnight, it's spoiled. 
In the same way, um, in Elijah, in 1 Kings 17, we looked at that a long time ago um, in, in the Bible project. I nearly forgot the name of it. But Elijah was out living in the wilderness, and God used ravens to bring him food, and it was bread and meat twice a day. It wasn't something that you could keep just beyond a day. And then Elijah is sent to this widow in Zarephath, and she was going down, she, she was down to her last meal, but God put flour in her jar and oil in her jug, in each case just enough for the day. We read, so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. She was making bread from this every day. So every day we need to learn to trust God for everything because the Bible has a word for people who try to get more than their daily bread, who try to build up more than a day's worth. And that word is fool. We read that in Luke 12, the man who had a good crop, who boasted about it and he decided to build a bigger crop and to take life easy, put his feet up, eat, drink and be merry. But instead his life was gonna end soon. And that's not teaching us that we can't ever plan for the future, but it's about our priorities again. In fact, in Proverbs 13, we read that we should plan for our children's futures if we're able to do that. So it's not about not planning for the future. This man is a fool in the story because he's presumptuous and he doesn't see his dependence on God day and daily. Again, back to James, he says that we shouldn't boast uh, that we'll do this or that today or tomorrow, but we should say, if the Lord wills, I'll do this tomorrow or next week. It's a recognition that we're completely dependent on God from day to day. We're not guaranteed the next breath. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're completely reliant on him, continuing to give us life day to day. The final word then is bread. Now, in Hebrew thought, um, bread is kind of representative of all food. And in the background, Jesus was saying this in. He was amongst Jewish people. So the word bread represents all food. So we're not just asking God for bread in this, but for the staples of life, for, for the things that we need to survive. Um, the shorter catechism is a good way of um, putting this in um, 104. It says, in the fourth petition, which is, give us this day our daily bread, we pray that of God's free gift, we may receive a competent portion of the good things of this life and enjoy his blessing with them. I like that little phrase, a competent portion. In other words, enough. We're not asking for riches. We're not asking for lots of gold or money or anything else, just what we need. But our danger, certainly in our part of the world, is that we already have what we need, don't we? And so we have a tendency to ask for the things that we want. We get greedy. And the trouble with that is that it's likely to leave us dissatisfied. We're never going to have enough. We're never going to be content because we can always want more. So the word bread just brings it back down. It reminds us of the things that we really do need. They're the things that we're to ask for. It reminds us that because our father knows we need them, he'll provide them. I'm not a wonderful dad, but I can see the difference between when one of my children comes to me asking for ice cream, something they just want, um, but they don't really need, and actually when it's something that they really need my help with. And I would do anything to make sure that they have it. 
And our heavenly father is a much better father than I am, and he will always give us what we need. We read those words. Jesus says he will give um, to sparrows and to flowers in the fields everything they need. They're fed, they're clothed really well, and we are worth much more than these. Give us today our daily bread. It's a really earthly prayer. It's for very ordinary things. But I think it would be wrong not to draw the parallel to Jesus as the bread of life. Now, that's not what we're asking for in this prayer, but we are pointed to it. I think it's interesting that Jesus chose to teach us to pray for bread, not for food, not for the things that we need, but bread. I think he picks that word really carefully because he knew that he would go on to say the words, I am the bread of life. The word bread in the prayer points us to the bare necessities of life. We have to eat to live. That's it. If we don't eat, eventually we'll die. When Jesus said these words, he just fed 5,000 people. I meant to say that before the reading, sorry. This people came to him and, and they thought, well, that's a good trick because there's bread I don't have to work for. So they asked him for more. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Jesus answered, I'm the bread. You need bread to live on earth now, but you also need bread to eat to live forever. And I'm the only person who can give it to you. He says to them, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Jesus was saying that he was going to go to the cross for us, and that would give us eternal life. Wounds which marred the chosen one would bring many sons to glory. When we pray for daily bread, we are really praying for the food to keep us alive. But as we acknowledge the, that the bread we have, the physical bread we have, ultimately comes from God, we also acknowledge that the bread that he gives us will give us life forever. And that came from God the son who died in our place. So if we get a taste, if we believe in him, then we know that we have life from him. We have a real tangible way of celebrating that together when we gather around the table. We're gonna do that next week. And one day we'll share in the great feast in heaven when we will break bread with him. And so those who trust in him, those who have eaten his body and who have drank his blood, will receive eternal life. It gives a new meaning to giving thanks for our food. When we say grace, we're thanking God for what he's provided in the here and now, but we're also pointed to the, the, what he's providing for us in eternity. Now last week, I don't know how you got on, I left you with a challenge to pray your will be done in all your prayers. I'll not ask how you got on with that, but this week I'm gonna leave you with another challenge, okay? Say grace this week. If you don't normally do it, say grace. Do it for every meal if you want, but even just make the effort to say it for one meal every day, especially if it's not your normal practice. Thank God for the food in front of you and use that opportunity to be reminded in the midst of your day of the bread from heaven 
and the hope of eternal life you have in him. Let's pray together. Lord, we have heard from your word tonight. So help us as we go from here to depend on you for our daily bread, to share the blessing of our bread with others, to turn from the idolatry of our hearts in thinking that we are self-made, and to trust you and your provision for our bread in the here and now, and for the bread of life, the one who gives eternal life to us as we trust in him. And we pray in his name. Amen.